Friends, while remain standing, uh, let us um, hear the, the reading of God's word taken from John 4, verses 43 to 54, which is going to be the basis of today's uh, sermon. After the two days he departed, he, that is Jesus, departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, that is one o'clock, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Please be seated. Blessed are those who not only listen or hear these words, but understand and obey them. And may the Lord himself add the riches of the blessing of his word as we meditate on these words together. Now friends, the title of my sermon today, How Not to Miss Out on God's Blessing, is actually, I swiped this title from one of the commentary uh, who, who basically talks about this passage. Um, the commentator, the Bible commentator, uh, Don Carson says that, the reason why this story is in the Bible is to warn the readers, that is to re- warn the Jewish readers, not to miss out on the blessing which should belong to them. So apparently they are in, in a danger of missing out a blessing. Now, what kind of blessing we are talking about here? Now, I believe one of the main keys to understanding this story is at the end of um, this pericope, where John says, probably a bit enigmatically, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, if those names and places are strange to you, you are, uh, you'll see it later, okay? But the point about noting this as the second time, it's, it basically acts as bookends, okay? It bookends this first sign, which is the miracle that Jesus probably quite recently, back then, performed in the same town in Cana in Galilee. It's still fresh probably in a lot of people's memory, which is the miracle of turning water into wine. In other words, this second miracle of healing the official son actually helps us to understand what kind of blessing that Jesus is bringing to us and how not to miss out on it. So I have a slide here, a chart to actually compare 
the two miracles. Now, I'm pretty sure the first miracle, Jesus turning water into wine, is quite familiar to you. If you look at your Bible, it's, it starts in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. But if you look at the chart here, in the miracle from water to wine and the healing of the official son, both are third-day miracles. In fact, John himself notes the, 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 the number of days. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. And here, after the two days, he departed for Galilee, meaning he arrives at Cana again on the third day. Similarly, uh, before the water turns into wine, Jesus um, rebuked, in this case, his mother. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Same thing with the official, as you read, as we read earlier. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then we similarly have the power of Jesus' words. And Jesus himself not actually being present in where the miracle takes place. He only says, fill the jars of with water to the servants. And then later, now, now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. And you know by then, the water has turned into wine. Same deal with the official son. He doesn't go back to Capernaum. He only says, go, your son will live. And same thing, uh, the, 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 the miracle is witnessed first and foremost by the servants. Yeah, um, in the miracle of water to wine, the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And same thing here. Some of the first witnesses of the healing of the official sons were his servant. As he go down, the servants, as he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Both also have the result of faith. In the first miracle, water into wine, the disciples believed in him. And in the second miracle, he himself believed and all his household. And back in those days, it's not just your immediate family member, but very likely his servants as well. The contrast, obviously, is that in water to wine, there's joy, party, happiness at the wedding, which Jesus saved, by the way, in order to avoid embarrassment. But in the second miracle, there's fear, anxiety, desperation at a point of death. Now, another commentator, James Montgomery Boy, says this, life is filled with the one as the other. There is happiness and sorrow. And Jesus is the answer to all human need in both circumstances. So let's look at the story together a bit more closely. The backdrop of the story, as we've seen in the past few weeks, is what uh, people sometimes call the Samaritan revival. You probably recall Jesus met with the Samaritan woman, which in turn brings a huge harvest, a huge revival. You probably recall this uh, from last week. So when the Samaritans came to him, that is to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there Two days. So this is the two days after Samaritan, he goes back to uh, Galilee, Cana. And many more believe because of his word. Notice that. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. He's not just a Jewish Messiah. He's not just a Samaritan Messiah. He's the Messiah for everyone without exception. And we see here an amazing number of people getting to know and believe in Jesus. 
So after the so-called Samaritan revival, we come to these verses that I read earlier. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Okay, now just to give you a bit of context, uh, now I, I did promise you that those uh, names, Judea, Galilee, Cana, will make sense. So this is the map. Okay, back in those days, you noticed um, Galilee is, um, yes, Galilee is up top, north. Judea is at the bottom. He was from Judea um, at the feast. That's what the feast is referring to in, the, in, in these verses. And he had to go through Samaria. That's chapter four, okay? Cut through the middle. You see somewhere in the middle, there's a town called Sikar. That's close where he met uh, with the Samaritan woman, most likely where the Samaritan revival happened. And now he, he's gone through Samaria and arrived back in Galilee. So that's, the, that's sort of the idea. So when he came to Galilee, okay, so when, when he talks there, his hometown is basically not Samaria, but here, Galilee, okay? He's back in Galilee, but he's got an interesting kind of welcome. It, it's quite um, interesting in verse 44, if you notice, it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own, own hometown. Interestingly enough, next verse, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now what's the deal here? What's the deal about Jesus saying uh, a prophet, talking about himself, is not honored in his hometown, and why do the Galileans welcome him? Well, sadly, the reason why the Galileans welcome him is described in the next sentence. The reason why they welcome him is because they've seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So the reason they welcome him is not because they want to believe in him. It's not because they want to turn their life around. They welcome him because the miracles he performs in Jerusalem. So this is not a welcome of faith, guys. This is a welcome of sensationalism. This is a welcome of, oh, let's gather together and look at what he's going to do next. So that's the context. That's what's happening. This is the kind of audience that Jesus is coming into, okay? the kind of welcome that he's getting. So let's look at verse 46. And he came again to Cana, sorry, Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Same place, okay? Now you understand the context now? And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Now let me just bring you the map again. And if you like, look at, uh, can you find Cana? So Cana is somewhere up top uh, Galilee. Okay, there's Cana um, there, and there's Capernaum uh, next to the Galilean Sea, which is about 30, 25 to 20, 30 kilometers. Okay, I live in Point Cook, and sometimes from, so depending where I'm standing or driving in Point Cook, I can see the Melbourne CBD, which is about 28 kilometers from where I live. So you get the idea distance-wise. But the thing is, if you look at the map, between Cana and Galilee is actually quite mountainous. So probably, if people were, were, were to take to walk, it's probably a um, six to eight hour walk, okay? Which is quite reasonable from Cana, sorry, from Capernaum to Cana. So back to our story. He came to Cana in Galilee, where he had the, made the water wine, again, indicating the connection between this story and the, the earlier miracle, uh, the wedding. Capernaum, at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. 
Now this word official is interesting. It's a word that can be translated uh, little king. Okay. So someone very important is very likely a member of Herod's household. If you don't know the context back then, uh, the Roman government installed a king, but he's not actually a real king. I mean, most Israelites actually hate him, but they have no choice because they're under the, the, Ro- the Roman occupation, right? So anyway, he's a very, this official is a very important person, very likely to have a life of privilege, power. Uh, later we see he has servants, so he has to be at least quite well-off, doing very well in life, but got a very sticking problem. He has a dying son. Now, everyone who has had a die, hopefully not dying, but very sick son or daughter or even family members, you know how it feels. You feel desperate. You want to find some kind of healing or recovery or way out or at least prolong the life of the one who is unwell. Then what happened? When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him, uh, should be a bit stronger. The word ask is actually the word beg. So it's not just one of ask. It's kind of like pestering Jesus. Keep on asking, imploring, begging, pleading. Ask him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So this is serious illness. He's probably been to many doctors, spent a lot of money, done everything he can. He's at the last threat of his hope, and he heard that Jesus is in the area. Let's go there. Last ditch to save the son's life. Interestingly enough, apparently he knows very little about Jesus. He doesn't know that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, He probably only hears say here and there, but he knows that he has special power. So, well, what, what else can you do? In fact, notice that he says he asked him to come down. So in his thinking, the only way Jesus can perform his miracle is for, for, for him to drag Jesus all the way from Cana, which is a bit uphill, that, that's why he says come down, back, you know, 30 kilometers by, I mean, there's very likely he rides horse or carriages in order to speed up the travel. So probably he goes, I don't know, four hours travel, five hours, okay? Jesus present, present in front of his son, touch the sun or say some incantation and heal the sun. That's the idea. Know very little about Jesus. But upon hearing Jesus, he travels all the way, probably in a hurry, very likely with a huge entourage or at least a team of people to, to, to speed up the travel, to meet Jesus and heal his son. He basically leaves everything behind, his family, his children, for this last-ditch attempt. Now, I recall earlier, Jesus doesn't always, doesn't immediately respond. Uh, he's begging and pleading. He said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I don't know how many of you are surprised when I read this passage earlier because it seems like Jesus is a bit mean, isn't it? It's so harsh. I mean, you don't come to a pastor and say, hey, can you please pray for me and your pastors say, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Get back here when you have enough faith, okay? Well, but that's not actually the meaning of Jesus' response. Jesus is actually trying to find out. Well, there, there are a few things. I mean, 
First of all, the word you there is not singular, but plural. He's not just talking to the official. He's actually talking to probably the crowd, to the Galileans, to the people who gave him, remember? The Galilean welcome, a welcome of unbelief. And he's basically saying to the lot of them, something like this. If you can, if you can find any other way to be successful, to have a happy marriage, or in this case, to cure a son, you wouldn't be coming to me today. If there's any other way, you won't come to me. And what's highlighted here is that God is using this particular circumstance to draw the official's faith out in order not just to seek healing, but ultimately to find him. Interestingly, the official, as in some cases of these healing um, stories, is not put off by Jesus. He's not offended. He doesn't say, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do to you? And stuff like that. He keeps saying, sir, come down before my child dies. In fact, the word there says, it's a bit like, sir, it's my little boy. It's my little boy. It's probably my only boy. Please come down. He's not put off. He has faith, little as we, and weak as it is, but, but he probably still doesn't know clearly about Jesus because still, he still says, come down. And interestingly, look at how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And we see here the authority of Jesus, the authority of his word. What he says happens. And there's only one person in the Bible that when he says something, it happens. If you open your first, the first pages of your Bible in Genesis, you will find God says, and it happens. God says this, and that happens. This is another way of saying that Jesus is God. He's not just saying, go and um, let's see how things turn out. Or go and I will pray for you. Go and, um, go and, and do something to, to, to give you comfort. No, go. Your son will live. This little boy will live. And surprisingly enough, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He takes Jesus at his word. And I already spoiled the story for you when I read the, the passage earlier, right? Because the healing takes instantaneously. It, when Jesus speaks those words, your son will live 30 kilometers away in Cana, way back in Capernaum, the son recovers at that very moment. But think about the official. He doesn't know it, right? Go, your son will live. He doesn't say, are you sure? Why don't you come with me? Let's, let's, let's just, no. It says he believed, he takes Jesus at his word and went on in this way. This is a bit parallel to the response that the Samaritan gives, right? We now believe that you are the savior of the world, the, the, the world. 
Let's think about it. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, now this is the confirmation of his belief, told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour. It's very interesting. He doesn't ask him, what's he doing now? How's my wife? What happened? He asked him, the first thing he has in mind is the hour. Because remember, that moment Jesus says, your son will live, he believed. He asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now, friends, I mentioned to you already, hinted at you more than once, that it's only probably four hours by carriage, by horse, from Cana to Capernaum. Okay? What time did the miracle happen? One o'clock. Still daytime. If this was happened to us, at least if this was happened to me, in Melbourne, I would hitch the quickest drive back to Capernaum and to see whether the miracle happens. Okay? So that's Cana, that's Capernaum. Give and take, let's give it six hours. One o'clock, if you ride as fast as you can, you can still arrive home by dinner. Correct? Now notice what happened in the story though. It says, as he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he get, began to get better. And they said to him, what's the first word? Yesterday. It happened at one o'clock yesterday. So what happened to the official? Apparently he doesn't go home right away. At least he spent a night at Cana before returning, or if he arrived in a rush, like as fast as he can, after hearing God's Jesus and believing, sorry, after hearing Jesus' word and believing his words, he takes a very leisurely ride back to Capernaum. It means this, that he really fully trusts Jesus' words. Your Son will live. He probably, if he sleeps overnight at Cana, and he probably has his servants hustling, hey, sir, what, we shouldn't go. That's okay. Jesus says, my son will live. Let's sleep. Let's go home tomorrow morning. Okay. So that's the story. What a faith. What a miracle. What a power that Jesus performs. And verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him again, your son will live, and he himself believed, and all his household. What an amazing story. His faith, weak as it was when it started, now turned into sight. His faith was justified or vindicated. He begins by knowing very little, as Colin Smith says, and grows as he come and believe to know, believe Jesus. And not only that, notice this: all his household, his wife, his children, his cousins, his probably his parents and in-laws and servants who live with him, they all believe. And I'm pretty sure this is not an overnight kind of thing. Probably it took him years to share the gospel, the word with them. But eventually, the whole household believed, which is very amazing, isn't it? 
And do you notice that? A lot of time, if you read this passage, it's so beautiful. I mean, the first time I noticed this, I almost tore up. Because when the character is introduced, he is introduced as the official, the little king. The second time, the official, the little king. And then the next time you hear about him, he's, it says, he's the man who believed the word of Jesus. He's just a man who believes Jesus. And the next time you heard about him, this is the first time he's mentioned as the father. You never heard the word father until this verse in 53. The father knew. The son that he's about to lose, he now regains. What begins with a boy at the point of death ends with the the whole household receiving eternal life. There was a pastor who had a parrot. And all the parrot could say was, let's pray, let's pray. That's all it says. The pastor tries to teach him to say other things, but no good. Keeps on saying, let's pray, let's pray. One day he learns that one of his deacons also has a parrot. So he, and the deacon, the deacon's parrot apparently only say, let's kiss, let's kiss. So the pastor has a bright idea. He decides to invite the deacon and his parrot over to his house. When the deacon arrived, they put the parrots in the same cage together to see what would happen. And as you might guess, the deacon's parrot says, let's kiss, let's kiss. And the pastor parrot says, thank you, Lord, for my prayers has been answered. Now, answer to prayer is a mystery, isn't it? Probably not as obvious as the story of the, par- the, the pastor's parrot, or probably not as obvious as the, uh, as the story of, of the official son who is healed instantaneously. But the reason why, Jesus, sorry, why the, the apostle John put this miracle is not only to give the connection between the first miracle and the second miracle. That's the big picture. Let me show you the bigger picture. In the Gospel of John, he only records seven miracles. Now, there's more, but he only records seven. As you probably know, John loves numbers, three, four, seven. Seven is a symbol of wholeness and perfection, but they're all written to point to the greatest miracle that is the resurrection of Christ. So these are all the seven miracles. Don't worry, guys, throughout this series, we're going to go through all seven of them eventually. But these are all the seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. Water into wine, healing the official son, then later healing the invalid, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing the blind man, and John 11, raising of Lazarus. And they all point to the great miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the reason why he writes only these seven miracles, which ultimately points to the greatest miracle of all, is to show us that the greatest blessing is eternal relationship with God that comes only to Jesus. In fact, in the last part of his book, this is what John says. Notice this. Now, Jesus did many other signs. Okay, so he's basically saying, of the seven that I put artistically here, he does so many more. 
in the presence of these disciples, which are not written in this book. But notice this. These are written so that you may believe that you may be like the Father, the official, Herod's official, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is not just temporary healing because the son is healed and eventually the son dies, right? Grows old and die, like all of us. But the point is, of all these miracles, is to point to the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Christ. Howard Pyle, not a theologian, he's a very um, great artist. He's actually one of the greatest art teachers. uh, Once uh, had a student watching him do a painting. He's a very good painter, by by the way. And during the painting, during the whole two hours, while Howard paints, he decides not to talk too much. He's just gonna paint the whole painting from start to finish. And once he finishes, the, the student who's been watching in rapt attention, very quietly, after he finishes, the painter, Holt Powell, asks, well, did you learn anything? Oh yes, Mr. Powell, I learned so much by watching you paint. Do you know what Holt Powell says? No, you didn't learn anything at all. Because all the important stuff was, and he tapped his head, the side of his head, all up here, the part that you did not see. So the stuff you see is the painting, the picture, the way the paint is put on brush, the color you choose, but he doesn't have access to what Howard Powell is thinking when he's painting. And so it is with us. We, we often love to give Jesus the Galilean welcome. We love to see when things go right, miraculous. I got the car, car park. I got the degree, I got the girlfriend, boyfriend relationship. But friends, if you, do, if you don't want to miss out on God's blessing, please don't give Jesus a Galilean welcome. Which make, make us so caught up in his miracles that we miss out the real purpose of this mirac- those miracles, that is to point you and I to him. His signs are intended to lead people to faith in him. As one writer puts it, inside of Christ, there's physical and spiritual life. But outside of Christ, people are spiritually dead. So just like the Father, Jesus' words must be believed and acted on. That brings me to the last slide. Hopefully, like to sum everything up. How not to miss out on God's blessings? We, we receive God's greatest blessing when we take Jesus at his word. But we also receive his greatest judgment when we ignore him and we ignore his word. Let us pray.